Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. All right, welcome to the Cincy Jungle Super Show. Uh, it's Ace Boogie, but of course I'm joined uh, with all the forces of this great network. We got my man Matt Minnick, we got John Sharon, we got Zim, the Dream Team, Hude, um, and then we've got, of course, Anthony Casenza. How you guys doing tonight? Doing awesome. Good. Good in here. Definitely, definitely. So we wanted to bring everyone together and kind of do somewhat of a, a halftime, uh, not a halftime adjustment like Marvin Lewis never used to do, but sort of like a halftime meeting here uh, to kind of just give our thoughts on the season and and really just talk about it for, for the most part. Um, so part one of the show essentially is going to be on like, is this what we expected, especially with us going and getting Joe Burrow after finishing uh, last year uh, with not the best record, uh, but with the big expectations coming into the season, is this where we expected to be at? Uh, Anthony, what were your thoughts coming into the season? And are we where you thought that we would be at? Or is it not going how you thought that that it would really go? Well, first of all, thanks for setting this up, guys. I know you guys were the, the brain children behind this big show. So I appreciate you setting that up and getting all that going. Um you know, it's it's hard to say because I think on one hand, I think we all kind of wanted to temper some expectations based on them only going 2-14 and 14 last year. But then you have the exciting offseason with Burrow and all the free agency acquisitions, and you go, can this team be sneaky? Can they get eight wins? Can they sneak into nine wins? And I think that was kind of cautiously optimistic. And now you look at it, 2-5-1, and one, but you look at three or four opportunities that went right through right through their fingertips there of a couple of games they should have won. So, uh, you know, I, I thought I'd right about now I'd had them maybe around 500, maybe a game or two under 500. Um, so they're maybe performing a little less, a little lower to my expectations. But there's also been a lot of injuries and a lot of other issues going on. So um, for the most part, kind of where I expected them at this point. So I'll just piggyback off of that. For me personally, I didn't think that they were going to be at this point just only having two two wins at this point. Uh, for me, at first, I kind of started out at seven and nine and one. And then I think once we saw Joe Burrow became a captain and was a leader, I was like, well, maybe they can go, you know, eight and eight or something like that. I actually thought at the beginning of the season, that was kind of the stretch, in my opinion, of somewhat of the easier games, right? When you talk about the Chargers game, you talk about the Browns game. I really thought that those would be matchups that they could at least string off two or three wins in. And when that didn't happen, I kind of was like, man, that's when I started to kind of get cynical because I knew the tough stretch that was waiting for them with the Colts game. You also talk about the Titans game, the Browns again, uh, the Steelers game, like this was kind of the stretch that I was somewhat worried about. So I think that I I was kind of definitely wrong when it came to like this part of the season per se. Matt, where were your thoughts on where the season would be at? And was there anything that you were wrong on at this point or, or right on? Or is this what you expected? Um, 
you know, I, I too expected them to start a little bit stronger. Um, I thought that I thought that the first four weeks of the season and the first four weeks after the bye week were where most of their wins would, would come from. Um, you know, optimistically, I, I thought there's a chance at nine wins. Um, I mean, there's still a chance at nine wins, but um, you know, I, I was in that you know six to nine kind of range. Um, you know, I thought at this point there'd probably be three, maybe four, if they pulled something off. Uh, but I think I think we knew that these last four games were going to be pretty tough coming in. Uh, so I'm not I'm not too terribly surprised in terms of like what I was what I was right on. You know, looking at uh, at kind of prediction for the season where where we thought things would be, um, and how everything went. You know, I was I was right to not panic. Uh, to, to take Zach Taylor's advice, uh, because I think a lot of people were, were starting to punt on the season. I heard uh, there's a lot of chatter of top five pick and, you know, we're, you know, the position they were going to be in there. And, you know, I, I, I don't think it's going to happen, you know, cause I, I, I do not to get too far ahead of things. Uh, there's some positive things going on and I see them stringing together some wins as the season comes along. Now, that's part of the reason I always was pretty optimistic about the season was I, I knew what they had uh, 10, 11, 12, you know, with the, uh, with, with the Giants, with the Redskins, uh, with the former Redskins, that is, and, uh, and with the Dolphins. Like, you know, I knew, I knew things were going to get easier. We ended up kind of getting lucky on that, that uh, guess what? You know, professional football teams in Texas suck this year too. So, um, I mean, outside of the division, you know, the Washington football team might, might be the most, you know, and, and the Dolphins are probably the most difficult ones. Uh, out, you know, outside of the division, uh, after the bye week, it's not not too bad. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think just kind of not not giving up on the season. I it sucks when they don't win the games when they're right there, but you know, that's kind of one of those one of those things is the progression with it, like. First you're losing, and then you know you're losing big, and then you start losing small, and then you got to start winning those winning those tight games, uh, and then you then you start really competing. So it's a it's a slow process sometimes, uh, but we have an ownership group that, for better or worse, will give you the time to do it. Definitely, definitely, John. What were your thoughts so far coming into the season and where they're at right now? It's really hard to predict which teams are going to be good and who isn't going to be good weeks or months going into the season like i i looked at the schedule back in may and like yeah like the eagles are going to be good the chargers are going to be pretty good (laughs) like yeah you know it's like things happen things change and but the Bengals, like as typical a lot of injuries have unfortunately impacted the state of the roster and how effective the roster has been through the course of eight weeks but i was pretty I was pretty sure that they were going to win like six or seven games this year and they're on pace for about six or five so i think Things are trending about where I expected them to be. Obviously, you know the, the close the close losses that they continue to stink, and you know Zach Taylor still has a lot to prove in, in regards to finishing games that that they should finish. But I, I mean, I look at you know the, how the first part of the season went. You know, I didn't really expect them to beat the Chargers. I didn't really expect them to beat the Eagles, and they were one and one of those games. I don't think any of us expected the Browns to be at least this effective on uh, in, in some of these games as they have been, and they finished 0-2 against them. I think we all expected them to beat the Browns at least once during the season. But I think, you know, most of us thought the Jaguars was going to be a win and the Ravens, they weren't exactly ready to compete with them. So, I mean, they, they've definitely had some courses of, of bad luck, but 
I think for the most part, a lot of these losses, they, they were deserved losses. They had chances to win them, but they just didn't play like the better team in most of them. I think two, five, and one, while, while it you know it doesn't look very good, it's about where they probably should be based off of how they how they performed this season. But things are definitely trending up. And I think, you know, like like Matt said, the back end of the schedule, aside from playing the Steelers twice and playing the Ravens again, there's a lot of winnable games in, in the season, and they can get into like that five, six, maybe even seven win range. So I think that fits a lot where most of our expectations, at least in the reasonable sense, where they were before the season. And obviously with Joe Burrow, you know, I think he's ob- he's obviously trending upwards and he's going to finish with a pretty good rookie season uh, for all things considered. And that, I think, exceeded at least reasonable expectations for a week, for what a rookie quarterback who starts in week one of his rookie season um, ends up being. So I think he's even exceeding my expectations for him in regards to that. Sam, what are your thoughts on... Uh, the season so far, is this what you expected? Were you right on? What were you right on and what were you wrong on? John, first and foremost, Burrow is rookie of the year. Let's just start that. Let's start off like that. You're trying to sell my boy a little short, I thought. I, I thought you were just talking about like, oh, yeah, you know, he's going to have a pretty good year. No, he's rookie of the year. This thing is happening. So I knew that was going to happen. I did not know that we would lose the way that we've lost. Um, in a lot of different circumstances, uh, I feel like I came into the season with a little bit of a more optimistic approach. And I, I think that was probably like at like six or seven wins. I think a lot of people thought it might be a little bit less than that. I never thought we would lose the way that we've lost. If you had told me coming into the season that he'd be throwing consistently for 300 yards, like most of my message and my content is predicated on offense and the lack thereof in the years past. So I would have never thought the defense would have failed us like that in these close games. Um, I'm not even going to count the Chargers game because in my mind, I, I still think we won that game, like in my mind. <laughs> like I'm just weird like that. But um, but aside from that, though, yeah, I mean, I feel like they're right on course of six to seven games. If they could do something crazy, it would have to happen right after the bye, I guess. And, and like, yeah, and, like, and like you said, Matt, the – who would have thought that that you would have got swept by the Browns? I never would have thought that. Yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. Zen, this all. is America, by the way. You can just claim the charges as a victory. <laughs> all right. I told, so. my, I told my friends that was a dub because you know they never seen the game, so they're all just sitting there like, "Oh, I mean, well, you got uh, two five one." I'm like, "But we won the Chargers game, and I got to show them the AJ Green highlight and all that." Like, yeah, it's still a win for me. So the next thing we're going to talk about is just the biggest impact injury of the year. And I'll kind of start off with this one. Me personally, I, I think for me, it was DJ Reader, right? Because we went out, we had this offseason where we went out and he was kind of the biggest guy or the, the guy, at least I was most excited about in terms of what he could bring to this team. And uh, obviously pairing him with Gino, which in my opinion, outside of Billings, who I actually like, he still never lived up to kind of the potential of what we wanted to see next to Geno. So for me, it was DJ Reader because I just he was the number one guy for me, like the impact that I wanted to see him make, especially in a division uh, like Baltimore likes to run the ball and stuff like that. It felt to me like a lot of our moves in free agency were set up to kind of defend the Ravens. So I, for me, it was DJ Reader. Uh, but, John, were there any impact uh, or big impact injuries of the year for you so far? I think I'm leaning towards Geno Atkins. You know, it, it was uh, obviously losing him for the first four weeks, you know, handicapped the defense to a certain extent. But even when he's back, like he's only playing 33% of the snaps. And 
I think part of that is also because they, they want to keep him fresh, but also, you know, it, it feels like with what they have and what they don't have at defensive tackle, if he can play, he should be probably probably be playing more. So who, who knows if he he's, if he's even 100% even now halfway through the season, but they just don't have a pass rushing presence uh, at that position right now. And we have seen the value of what Geno Atkins has been in the Bengals defense for so many years. Now that we see him now, it just it, he just looks like past his prime. And again, he could still be injured, but they're, they're not using him a lot. And it, it shows because they just don't have a pass rushing presence at that spot. And the reader injury hurts in, in, in com- as it combines with it and as it piles onto that but i think at least the guys that have replaced reader have been at least decent in talking about christian covington and xavier williams but they have no interior pass rushing presence and i think atkins's injury is, is the biggest reason for that anthony who who do you have as the biggest injury impact uh this season so far well atkins is definitely a one i was going to think about but hear me out on this one i'm going to say trey waynes uh you know I mean, at least the Bengals got a few snaps out of out of Reader. I think he he they got a couple games out of him. He showed he was effective, and obviously that impact is a big one as well. But look, I mean, some of these meltdowns that the Bengals have had late in games have been the passing defense and guys not named William Jackson not making plays in the secondary. Jesse Bates has stepped up. We'll probably talk about him in terms of midseason awards and stuff in a little bit, but. He stepped up. He's played awesome. William Jackson, he's missed a couple of games here and there, but you know, when he's in there, he's been he's been having a great season in there for the most part, especially if you look at some pro football focus metrics, etc. I just I look at the other side, there's such up and down play from Darius Phillips. He's like interception or give up a big play. You can look at the, the second Cleveland game and see exactly what I'm talking about <laughs> when I reference that. And, you know, so I, I just – I think the Bengals – Trey Waynes is not as good of a player or as talented of a player as a Geno Atkins, a DJ Reader, or some of these guys we're talking about. But I think just in terms of some of the late meltdowns that we've seen, having a little bit more of a steady veteran presence on the other side with William Jackson or even in the game that William Jackson missed, I, I think that's, that's kind of a big, a big issue. Uh, so I, I think no, to this I kinda, point, I, might I kinda go with actually Trey agree with you on that, especially with us not being able to see Trey Wayne's, especially with Darius Phillips having that injury in the last game. We're even more decimated at that point. And Mackenzie Alexander, I've really liked, he's he seemed to kind of pull it together there, at least in the slot. But Zim, what are your thoughts so far this season in terms of the biggest impact injury of this season? I feel like I, I want to take a piece off of everybody's like what they just said, you know. Injuries happen all across the league. And I, and one thing that I preach, I guess, to everyone is like, there is no, no I, I hate the term no, next man up because the next man isn't going to be Geno Atkins or it's not going to be whatever. I don't like that term. But at the same time, I find it very, very hard to like shy away from the fact that like other teams have injuries as well. The injuries that we have had, I think you could look and I'm going to translate for you. <laughs> hey, like Anthony, I'm gonna translate for you. You're pretty much saying if Trey, if Trey Wayne's were to play that game, that we wouldn't have lost. Hey, guy, how you hey. doing? <laughs> During the quarantine, it's all good. Hey, look, look. Uh, yeah, Zoom era, right? <laughs> Man, listen, I do that all day with my son, so that's same, all. Same. But um, what I was gonna say, you know, like for the for the most part, like everybody uh, has injuries and. Trey Wayne's is a big one. I think you could single-handedly look at 
you know, like the Browns game and say, yeah, that that's a law. I mean, we I think you would say you would have won that game. I think there's other different games that I could point to. And I say, hey, maybe if Gino was there like early on in some of the, you know, like even in the uh, in the Eagles game, like it, there, there's so many ones. But I'm, I'm going to just go with everything that you guys said. I mean, Trey Wayne's DJ Reader. Those are the two. Those are the two right there. Gino Atkins not being what he is. Uh, what we're, we're, we're accustomed to is is major. There's no so so that. Matt. I think we made it pretty easy on you there for you to, to for you to go last here. Uh, but what are your thoughts on like the biggest impact injury? We kind of have all talked about defense. Um, not to not to throw you an alley oop. Is there anything on offense that you may see, or maybe something that we didn't mention on defense in terms of injury that had a big impact on the season? I mean, you know, you're honestly. Xavier Suofilo is the only one really on offense, but he was a guy that was a middle-of-the-road free agent. I thought he was a good scheme fit, so you know I, I am excited to see what he can do in this offense because I, I think he could be a good fit, and I think he's a better fit than John Miller for them. Um, but I don't, I don't know. Some people thought he did well in that first game. I didn't think he looked pretty good in that first game. So, you know, <laughs> who knows? But, I mean, didn't he play well in that game, though? I, some people – I've heard people say he does. I think he had a decent PFF grade in that game. I didn't think he looked very good personally. Um, but, you know, I think you all hit the nail on the head. I think I think this defense, schematically, we're seeing – we saw a big jump forward from what we saw last year. Uh, and, and I think that's having some change in the coaching staff and some guys that are a little bit more on page with, with Anna Rumo. Um, I think that's why they went out and, and got a Trey Wayans because I think, you know, maybe I, I like Dre, but maybe Dre was was an old dog. He couldn't te- teach new tricks to or something, and they wanted to go out and get somebody else. Uh, you know, to, uh, it was just going to be a better fit for them. And really, you know, I, I, think, I believe it was the Colts game. You know, in the Colts game, people were complaining that they were playing zone and they weren't, they weren't blitzing to rush the passer. And in the Browns game, they blitzed and they got burned. You know, and, and, and that's the thing, like, you got to get a pass rush or you have to cover very well. It's great if you can have both, but you got to have one of them. <laughs> you know, So, yeah. I mean, all those D-line injuries, uh, like it killed them. All, all those D-line injuries did it. And, and somebody said here in the chat, and we, we haven't mentioned this because it's been a short-term injury, but Sam Hubbard's another one. You know, Sam Hubbard was the other guy that can do something for you inside, at least. And without him or Geno inside, literally nothing. Um, I, I, you know, Carl Lawson's uh, pass rush win percentage is is pretty average right now. But when you're the only dude, you know, right. like, like put you know put put uh, uh, put TJ Watt across from him, and he's going to be winning at a higher rate. I guarantee that. You know, like it put put Geno in there at, at full Geno mode, he'll be he'll be getting more wins in the edge. So I mean that that really gets you right there. And then like, Darius Phillips, he's just not good enough. And neither is LaShawn Sims. I, I, I was wrong. I'll, I'll throw this out as something I was wrong about early in the year when we were seeing just a little bit of LaShawn Sims. I was like, man, we need to see more of this guy. Like, I thought he looked pretty good in the reserve role. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we were seeing just the right amount. And, and you know, uh, Phillips, you know, the uh, the don't waste my my talent tweet or, or you know, I'm paraphrasing <laughs> that. But right. um, I think what's going on there is Anarumo knows that he's got two guys that shouldn't be playing. And he's like, man, I can't get 50 good reps. I can't get 60 good reps. I either one of these guys, 
maybe I can get 25, 30 out of each of them, you know, right. and they're trying to trying to create a Franken corner there. Cause man, they, they just don't have anything on that other side. No, I have to, I have to agree with you for sure. And, and thanks for everyone that's tuning in right now. Um, through all of the different pages. We have the Cincy Jungle Facebook page going live right now. We have Zim Huda's YouTube. We also have the OBI YouTube. So please be sure to like, uh, comment, and subscribe to all of those for sure. Uh, but one thing that I saw in the chat that we did not mention, CJ Uzoma. Like for me, like the tight end position honestly has kind of died ever since he, he kind of went out there. We've had some good games here and there from Drew Sample. Um, but really, when you're trying to, to squeeze plays out of uh, Seathan Carter uh, on fourth down, it, that's when you know that it's it's pretty bad there. I think definitely it's tight end position. Uh, as you guys said, obviously the corner position. I think the reason that me and Zim kind of smiled when you talked about Sims is Zim actually has a contact that he's cool with uh, with the Titans. I think he's the strength and conditioning coach there. One of my guys, he works in IT, and he's like an assistant coach. And as soon as I text him about LaShawn Sims on my side – he sent me back a LOL. He's trash. So <laughs> that would, did not inspire much confidence uh, for me. And I mean, I'm not going to say that that's my opinion of him, but it did not it did not give me high expectations uh, for Sims coming in. Uh, so the next one we have here is what was the biggest play of the year? Zim, let's start with you. What, what was the biggest play of the year this season for you so far? The biggest play of the year to me is easily – the A.J. Green touchdown at the end of the Chargers game one. I think that game right there, it changes the narrative on A.J. Green. It changes the narrative on the whole entire wide receiver core. It changes the record. It changes, I believe, like how you power rank us. Every Like currently right now, Bleacher Report has this power rank at 20th after we just knocked the Titans off. You win that Chargers game, you win – I, I think you you probably find a way to win the Eagles game. Like that game has so much. It started up this this thing that we can't describe. Where at the end of games, it's like, oh no, here we go. I think if you would have, if the Bengals would have won that game, I think it would have just set the tone for so much. And especially the AJ Green narrative because I point to that game and I point to uh, two. Two passes in uh, that Denzel Ward broke up uh, in the second game, and then it was another uh, pass in the Eagles game. Those three plays from AJ Green right there drastically take him from probably the thirtieth something, thirty something ranked fantasy football player to like the eighteenth. Like those three plays were so big, like, they would have given him touchdowns, they would have given him yards. That one big play changed so much moving forward. And I think it set the tone for the season, and they finally kind of broke out of it this past week. No, I, I have to agree with that one. Uh, Matt, what is what are your thoughts on the biggest play of the year so far? Um, you know, it seems like a bit of recency bias, but I think there were a lot of really big plays that led to, to this win this weekend. And obviously there's a couple of big catches, uh, some ridiculous catches in, in the fourth quarter. From uh, from Tyler Boyd with the the one that looked like it was a, a glitch on on Super Nintendo or something, <laughs> and um, and and uh, obviously Auden Tate, you know, getting getting air up there, uh, and and keeping that drive alive uh, to to you know waste the clock there. But to me, the big one in that game was in the second quarter, and it was the fourth and five throw. Uh, that was 
that was, you know, we saw the vintage uh, Burrow on the rollout uh, in the first drive where he threw it to the sideline pass to Higgins. But this was another kind of vintage Burrow where they were only sending three and, and there was good protection and he moved around the pocket a little bit and it seemed like he was waiting there forever. Uh, and then he, he threw a, a dime down the field to, to Higgins. Um, I mean, Higgins, had, there were three guys around him. Two guys were really close, but uh, Higgins took a hit there. I think it was a 22-yard gain, I believe, and, and converting the the, uh, the fourth down. And really, I mean, that that led to them scoring on that drive and going up two scores. And one of the big things that I always talk about, and, you know, uh, humble humble plug here, but when I do the, the five keys to the game uh, on Cincy Jungle, one of the things I talk about a lot is winning the middle third. And the Bengals aren't – or, excuse me, the, the middle eight. Uh, and when – the Bengals aren't very good at winning the middle, middle eight uh, in general, all right? Because they give up points. It's the last the last four minutes of the first half, they give up points. The first four minutes of the second half, uh, they've been giving up points a little bit. But, you know, and, and they've often been kicking off in the second half, which doesn't help them there. Uh, but they won it in this game because they, they scored at the end of the half. They scored that touchdown. And then the defense got a stop on the first drive. So they went up by two scores, and they got that that, that stop in the first drive of the, the second quarter. Uh, to me, the second half. So so that was huge for them, uh, and, and I really think, and also the aggressiveness too, because I, I think that's that's something that a lot of the complaints about Zach Taylor have been him not being aggressive. So the fact that he understood that situation, and he saw it, and he's like, "We got to go up." You know, he didn't say, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna pin him deep, and then they won't be able to score before the half." No, he's he's like, "Nope, we're taking a two score lead right here." Uh, that, you know, that to me, all of that kind of combined makes that uh, the play of the year right now. Oh, yeah. I have to, these are some great examples that you guys are giving. Let's go to John for his play of the season so far. I just want to say for that play that, that Matt talked about, that was actually Burroughs' first 20-yard completion between the numbers of the season. Oh, and sure. like when, when, and when I charted him like last year against Florida, Auburn, Alabama, Georgia, and Clemson, he didn't complete a single pass. Like twenty yards down the field, like over the middle. So that was that was a big step for him and for that situation was. I, I look at like these past three weeks, Burrow is like fourth in the composite score of expected points added per play and completion percentage over expectation. He's up there with Tom Brady and Pat Mahomes and Drew Brees and the elites right now. He's playing elite ball and the Bengals offense is clicking on all cylinders. And I feel like it all started. It was like the third drive of the Colts game. Bengals had uh, like a drop from Mike Thomas. They had a false start. It was third and nine. They were already up two touchdowns, but it was like the first like just glimpse of adversity in that game. And then Burrow found T. Higgins for 67 yards on the right side. It was the first actual deep completion of the season. And we talked about like early in the season, like this offense has the potential to be so much more if they can connect on some explosive plays because that was the one thing that was handicapping them. Obviously, the pass protection issues were, were extremely prevalent. They still are to this day. But like that offense, it, it really it that first deep ball opened up so many things for this offense. And ever since then, Burrow has like been I think PFF's top deep passer from week seven to eight. So we, and we've seen the difference that that makes. But that was the first time that that it happened. It was like if they won that game, I feel like that would have been the play that was like the turning point. Like the, the Bengals could have turned it, or like they could have uh, failed on a third down conversion there. Had another deep incompletion, like that narrative continues to sting, and maybe the Colts come back a little bit earlier, make that game more of a blowout than than just a comeback, come from behind win for them. But I think if they win that game, that would have been the turning point, and I think it has been the turning point for this offense as a whole and how much more efficient the offense in Burrow has been. 
Definitely, definitely. AC, what are your thoughts on the the biggest play so far this season? So I've got two, uh, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna make them positive. I'm not gonna go the the what if route, but uh, I'm gonna go back to the Jacksonville game, their first win. They went into the half infamously giving up points right before the half to the Jacksonville Jaguars down 13 to 10. And you kind of felt like, here we go again, based on what happened the first three weeks, you know, the points right before the half, they're down, they're not scoring many points. And you just kind of fell down and out about it. Well, the ensuing drive, they go five plays, 75 yards. And one of them is on Joe Mixon going 34 yards down up the right sideline for a big touchdown. The Bengals had not been running the ball well. Their offensive line had been a mess up to that point. Still is kind of a work in progress right now. <laughs> but, you know, they they just hadn't been running the ball. And that was a game that, you know, if they were going to try and feel good about where they were going with things, if they were going to try and get back on track offensively, that was kind of a moment where you go, okay, there it is. Then they got the lead and never really looked back. Right. So that was one play that I, I felt was a big one. And then you can go to this week. There was a moment in the Tennessee game, very late in the game, three minutes left. The Bengals have a lead. Uh, and they are, they are actually up 31-20, and all of a sudden Joe Burrow throws an inexplicable pass that gets intercepted and taken to the, the Bengals' 26-yard line. You go, oh, my gosh, are they going to let this thing slip away again? Right. And, and the, the call got turned back, and it was kind of a mm, – mm. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. And – and it was just kind of a moment where you go, all right, you know what? This game's going to be put on ice for the Bengals now. They get a quality win, and they actually get a call their way, which seems to never happen, right? right. So those two plays for me, uh, one is kind of an obvious one in a touchdown, but one is actually a penalty going their way. Both really led to them getting getting their wins this year. Right. Yeah. No, you, you, I definitely thought the same way, Anthony. I was like, oh, they just let us kind of get away with one there. And I was, yeah. I definitely was worried for sure, especially with that being in our own territory for sure. Let me Thanks. ask you this, though. Say that they throw that pick. That This is the one thing that I preach to everybody. Say that they throw that pick in years past or whatever. Maybe we figure out a, a way to lose that game. Say they throw it back. And then it, this is one of my Titans friends. They do that. They tie the game up. You think Joey B not going to go down the field and go win the game? Oh, well, I think he's going to go down the field and get you the, what should be the game-winning points, right? But then, you know, if they get, if they leave any kind of time on the clock, we've seen what the defense does at the end right. of halves and at the end of fourth fourth quarters. Joe Burrow, to me, I I have all the faith in the world that he would rebound and get them points to go ahead. It's can you hang on to that lead? And that's that's why this week was pretty important, and getting that call <laughs> was was pretty important. But uh, I mean, I know what you're saying, Zim. I just you know I, I've seen too many slip away that should have been wins this year. Yeah, this year alone, like he, it, yeah, Joe Burrow doesn't have a come from behind victory yet. Like, come on. I think they learned from. <laughs> I think they learned from their mistakes. Like uh, Matt pointed out earlier, they were in the zone one time. They got crushed. They went in the man. They got crushed. So what do they do? Mix it up, cover three shield, come back with a little bit of man, mix it up or whatever. They learned from their mistakes, and that was part of the reasons why they beat the Titans. I think if they get into that same situation again, Joe Burrow would tell Coach, "Hey, look." It's a minute on the clock, but we're going to run this thing down, and we're going to be the last people that take that shot. I don't think that'll ever happen again, not this season, in my I, opinion. I think based I mean, off – That could of, be a great what-if, too, by the way. They, I guess the Browns, right. they, they, they were running man at the end, and mm -hmm. the, the first play of the, of the Browns' game-winning drive, Mackenzie Alexander missed the sack. 
Right. Yep. Like yeah. I, I talk about that play every defense, he got there, and he just yeah. Like that could have been the game. You know, every player after the game pointed to that thing because I don't think fans understand. You make that sack, like you said, the game, I'm not going to say it's over, but you're dealing with like 30-something, 40-something seconds on the clock, and they're at like the 15-yard line, and that game doesn't go like that, I think, unless they get beat deep on the man. And you're in second and forever, too. Right. Right. I mean, you you need a miracle just to to come back from that, and the clock is ticking. Right. Oh, valid points, valid points. For me, though, I'm going to go with – I'm going to go to the Colts game, and I'm going to go with the 67-yard pass to T. Higgins uh, deep down the sideline. And I think that that was, like, his arriving moment for this team because if you remember back week one, he didn't really get many snaps. He wasn't really coming along. At that point, they still had John Ross kind of as the second receiver. And I think that that was the game where he kind of emerged, and they they kind of saw, like, okay, well, if A.J. Green is kind of struggling right now, let's start to put T on the field more. And I feel like after that play, it was just like, okay, yeah, T. Higgins is is legit. He's here for sure. This may be somewhat of a changing of the guard to him, not necessarily replacing A.J. or being A.J., but kind of assuming that role and, and kind of rising to it. So for me, it was it was that one for sure, and especially for it to be on a deep bomb where T. Higgins, not really known for his speed, was really criticized a lot in the NFL draft process for that. So for him to kind of have that on that play was just like a culmination of his kind of coming out party, at least for me in that sense. So definitely all great plays. I, yeah, that was probably uh, – the the funnest uh set of responses that I got there it was definitely some some good ones. I thought Zim at first killed it, but you guys brought up some very good ones, especially Anthony that end of the that end of the uh the last game one. I definitely thought that as well. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smart Water Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Uh, so next we have here is the most rewarding personal moment this season. Uh, let's start with Matt. What has been the most personal rewarding season or moment of this season for you? Yeah, I didn't get this one. So for like for me personally, what was most rewarding to me? Yeah, yeah, like yeah, like in the sense of you know, like what is the most satisfactory moment that you've had? Maybe like it could have been, you know, through through your pod, through you know, watching film or like just being a Bengals fan. Well, I I mean this week on the pregame show at the end, I said F it, I'm calling a win. And (laughs) and so that that felt pretty good getting that one right. Because uh, I, I was sure people were going to remember if I uh, if I got it wrong, so um, I, you know I, I will say like like that was a great moment though, and, and honestly like I I thought I was thinking all week that the Bengals had a chance to win that game, and it was like man it'd be great if they could at least get one of those guys back. They didn't get anybody back, and like my confidence was waning. It and like rough. seriously, I woke up and I saw Michael Jordan wasn't playing, and this is not at all a negative <laughs> about Michael Jordan, but I saw that and I'm like, they're gonna win. Like, <laughs> it, it was, it, like because sometimes there's just thank so you, Matt. Thank you because I I don't have the highest opinion of Michael Jordan either, and sometimes no, no, feel for no honestly, no, so, but I, I think I think it was so strange. Like yeah, it, was it was so strange. Like, like sometimes it's like. 
like your back is so far up against the wall and like the ads are so much against you that it, like it's like there was just too many bad things that it becomes a negative or that becomes a positive excuse me like sometimes there's just so many bad things that it becomes a positive and like the way i see this and i mean i, I don't want to be a dick but i'm going to throw in like the dunlap thing too because that was a that was some negative stuff that was going on during the week too right i mean i i love dunlap and they said that that wasn't affecting their locker room, but it had to be eaten in the locker room a little bit. So now he's gone, and now you get all this other shit going on. And what do you do? You galvanize, you come together, and you you scrape out a win with you know your day one number six through ten offensive lineman. I mean, like. Like maybe that's what they needed to just bring him together and you know and be able to fight like that. I mean, I, honestly, and like that, the line didn't play very well. You know, I, I don't. You, we've all seen the PFF grades. Uh, the line didn't play that well, but they fought. Like, and the whole the whole unit fought, and they and they fought together. And like to me, like that could that could be a really big moment for them going forward. Not just getting the win against a quality team, but getting a win against a quality team when nothing was going right for them, you know, in the week leading up to it. No, I think that you hit on a, a good area there. I think definitely at first when we were watching the game, I thought initially like everyone else did, zero sacks, the line played amazing. But when you watch the JTO Sullivan film breakdown, you see guys just like, especially on the play that we all talked about where Joe Burrow's running and missing all of those guys. Well, that was because the line wasn't really blocking or doing much on that play. Uh, but John, what were your thoughts on, uh, the most rewarding part of this season so far for you. Yeah, Matt, that was, that was, that was hysterical. I don't know why that was so funny, but it was. Um, uh, I think I think for me, it, it's, it was like week three. Um, like I, I was hyping Carl Lawson a lot in the preseason. It just felt like, you know, he was healthy. He wasn't dealing with any nagging injuries. And, you know, to start the season, he was was a little bit, I guess, on, on the slow start. Like the first two two games, he wasn't really doing much as a pass rusher. And then he kind of came alive against the Eagles in, in week three. And ever since then, he's been carrying this pass rush. Like Matt, has, like Matt has said, like he hasn't been fantastic by any means, but he is by far the most valuable member of that defensive line right now, because without him, they're not getting any pressure w- with anything. And right now he's looking like a guy that the Bengals should be considering, you know, reinvesting in, in, in the off season. And if, if he doesn't stick around here, he's going to see a sizable contract with another team. Like it, th- that game against, you know, Jason Peters, and I think Lane Johnson was, was back as well, but he was just owning Jason Peters. It looked like Jason Peters was, was should, should have been retired d- during that game. And he was just, he was pushing back co- constantly. And he was getting in Carson once in space, and he just had a really good game. And ever since then, he's, he's been pretty solid as a pass rusher. And I just felt a little bit vindicated that, you know, he was a breakout performer that I, I, I'm glad he's actually breaking out and helping out this defense in any way he can. Yeah, definitely. I have to agree there. AC. Uh, most rewarding part of the season so far for you? Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with what Matt said just about this week in general. Um, you know, just the fact that the Bengals were able to get such a, a good win against what seems like a quality team during a week where their their reputation was dragged through the mud, man. I mean, it was like John Ross, Carlos Dunlap. I mean, and, and they came out and they played well in every phase. So, that's one of them, and I, I guess I'll get a little sappy and I'll, I'll cheat a little bit here because this is technically a calendar year that I'm referencing, but getting this crew together for Cincy Jungle has been really hey. rewarding for me because John and I, you know, John and I built a, a, a 
decent little show. You know, we, we, we did our thing and we were looking to grow the channel and we identified a, a couple of really talented people. Um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely the dummy of the group. You guys are the, the brains and the talent. And, uh, you know, what we've what we've been able to achieve, who we've been able to interview, um, the different things we're doing. I, I feel like we built a really good team and a good groove going forward. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty proud of, of what the five of us have been able to do over the past year, especially in 2020, dealing with, you know, with the Corona stuff and being, you know, talking to all these different people on our shows. It's, it's been pretty cool. So I guess that's just shameless self-promotion on my part, but um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty stoked on what's, uh, what's been happening with, with the Cincy jungle channel based on the team here. Yeah, definitely. So if you are watching this, if you are following this, please be sure to subscribe to all of the channels, uh, like and comment and give us your feedback and, and definitely check out the podcast for sure. The Cincy Jungle podcast, wherever you get your podcast from, please be sure to check that out. Also, leave us a review. You guys obviously in the comments seem to like this, but we need some of those reviews. So help us out in that area. Uh, Zim, what was your most rewarding part of this season? I'm a piggyback off of AC Slater a little bit. Like I am, I am very like to understand. I know we all have our own takes and we all have our, we all have our own content. And I think that's so awesome. Like, it's like, you don't just get one. Like if you are listening to this and you've seen some of us for the first time or whatever, like people from my channel, whatever, like please follow this whole entire team because it's, there's so many people that probably disagree with me that just can't stay away from my page or something, but I think they probably might agree with Matt or they might agree with John or, you know, like there's so many different views on this stuff. But I will say like throughout this, um, this whole process is really good to know, like um, you got a bunch of people that care about like the Bengals as much as you do, because where I live at, there ain't too many of us. You can go anywhere in the world you can go get you some Steelers gear. You can go get you some Cowboys gear. You can go get all that stuff. But there ain't no stores around here. You can get no black and orange. So um, when I went through this process, like going through like Instagram is how I kind of came up a little bit or whatever. But do you realize five years probably ago, I counted, and I'm a weird guy. I screenshotted a lot of people that didn't believe what we were saying about like getting a quarterback and different things like that. And me and my partner Ace here on Orange is the New Black, I tell you, when I tell you last October, when we were pretty much done with, like, that that team, and we started telling people, like, hey, it's this guy. We first started off with Tua yeah. for a second, right? And then we hopped right on the burrow, like, early. This is, like, October. Like, we were full on. This is what it is. And when we you went, bought, you even bought a jersey. Like you bought a jersey. I, like it, 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 I bought a, I bought a Joe Burrow jersey. I, I bought a, a Joe Burrow jersey. I went and got a custom Joe Burrow jersey made. I went yeah. and created. I went and uh, created Burrow Babies. I, if you guys don't know, I make a clothing line called Burrow Babies. I went and trademarked Burrow Babies. I saw the vision. I saw everything that was happening. And do you know that people wanted to kill me? Do you oh, know, did you know that we would come on there and be talking about tank mode and people just was like, how could you talk about us like that? We need to win. And I'm like, you're not seeing a bigger picture. Like there's something else out there that I'm telling you, you just can't see it yet. But we had to go through like a whole year. And then fast forward to just now, some of those same people that I remember, because I always had this thing where I say, I'm not going to block anybody just because y'all saying bad stuff or whatever. Like, I don't care. I love that. Bring that shit on. But 
we went through that and some of those people hit me like when we won uh when we won the game this past week some of those same people was like all right i'm on i'm on board i'm on and i'm like you just now got on the joe burrow train or like so like to see like people like collectively because i think it made our fan base i tell people about this it divided our fan base so people would go on twitter and just argue about chase young or argue about should we keep Dalton or the, the ways to structure a team? And I think for the first time after that win, regardless how you feel about the pieces, the pieces that are missing, I think for the first time collectively, everybody was all on one accord. Like, and I, and, I, and like I told you, Ace, winning cures all, but winning yeah. a game and then collectively everybody saying, we got our guy. Now let's go figure out the rest or whatever. I felt really good about that. Yeah, I have to I have to give you that one, Zim, because when that happened, Anthony had just brought us on uh, to Cincy Jungle. So when people started listening to listening to us and I think it was the episode, it was like time to uh, tank. It was like a play on words, like it's time to tank uh, because we just didn't feel like Andy Dalton. And it was nothing against him. I think people always took it as you guys hate Andy Dalton or anything. It was never that. It was just that we felt that. When when everything is is folding or not working around him, he can't raise the level of this team. And we saw it when we lost to Josh Allen. We saw it when Kyler Murray came in and we kind of started to get away from like even wanting to really break down the games like that, because it was like this is obvious that we need a quarterback. And like Zim said, it started with it started with Tua. But I have to give you the credit for Burrow, because once Burrow was starting to ascend, you were all in on the Burrow. I was trying to manifest the whole Tua thing, and you were like, nah, I'm going to take this a step further, and I'm going to manifest the Burrow thing. And I think all of those battles that we fought to have what has happened this season and to see the whole like narrative kind of change on that for people to see like, oh, okay, this does make sense. To go from you guys aren't real fans because you want to lose this just to get this number one pick or Chase Young is way better than than Joe Burrow to it to, for it to play out the way that it did was amazing. But I think for me, I think the most rewarding part this season definitely was AJ Green and the interview that he did with us. Like to really learn like, to really learn about AJ Green, the person, and see like how humble he was, like to see the way that he carried himself, like to be able to just get a response, like you said, from AJ Green is just crazy. Like to just text AJ Green is is insane. But I think to actually the fact that he took it serious with us, he worked with us, and we got to see the actual like person that we typically don't see in these interviews when they're completely asking them about football. Uh, but to ask him these things and for him to enjoy it, I think was just the most rewarding one for me because, you know, it's no secret. I think most of our favorite players, I would probably say, just speaking for myself and and maybe some of you guys, it's been A.J. Green. As soon as we drafted him in 2011, I was just praying that we didn't screw that up to to get him there. And like literally when we drafted him, I remember jumping off of like the couch as soon as we drafted him. So for that to just be leading up to that moment where, Uh, Like you guys said, going through what we went through in 2020, I never would have thought like in 2020, I'd be interviewing AJ Green like that just blew my mind, like, honestly, throughout this whole season. So I think for me, it's just uh, that point of it. It sucks that his his uh, season didn't get off to the best start. Right. Uh, But um, that was just a, a, a crazy moment, I think, for myself. Correct me if I'm wrong, but. Like, didn't he kind of get it together right after he came on your show? I'm just saying. No, he actually – that's when it went downhill. So, it was the Browns oh, game. Yeah. It was the uh, Browns game. 
And so like <laughs> they wanted to trade it. They wanted to trade him after our show. <laughs> like the next, the next two games. <laughs> the next two games, that's when the like get AJ out of town. Talking. It was like, oh, you're just you're just defending this guy because he was just right. for your show. It was it was bad. Oh, they're still there. They still sitting there, like they messaging me, telling me why we didn't make a move for the trade deadline. They're still there. Yeah, but but to see the just the type of guy that he is, man, like he's just he's just a normal guy. It's crazy. You would not think that, but he's honestly just a normal guy. So I guess that segues into the interviews, and we all have had crazy interviews, amazing interviews. I've got to ask each and every one of you, which was your favorite one? So I guess I kind of spoiled it for myself. So we'll start with Anthony on what your favorite uh, interview was this season. Ooh, uh, there there was, a, I mean, I, I always, I, I've had him on a couple times. I always fanboy out with Munoz um, just because the, the USC and Bengals thing, you know, and Hall of Fame guy, and I just always fanboy out on 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 that guy. But I think, I think, right yeah, and I, yeah, uh, I think I think John will agree with me on this one. It's a little little bit different from so many. I mean, I I know we enjoyed Mike Daniels. We've talked to him a couple of times. He's a really engaging guy. But for me, I really liked talking to Tim McGee. Uh, guy who played for the team in the 1980s, a wide receiver. He's oh, you know, pretty good player. Had a thousand yard season with the team. If if you go back and listen to that interview, that dude is engaging. That dude is really intelligent, and he just knows his stuff. It, it was just a really interesting interview. So, I, I mean, there was a lot of other ones I could point to, but uh, for me, that one just kind of keeps creeping up to the top of mind in terms of top interviews, at least for this year. Definitely, definitely. Uh, Zim, what was your favorite one? My favorite one, I'm going to tell you, A.J. Green, I thought that interview was great, right? And I feel like I feel like I, I, I feel like it's so good because I think moving forward, I think we got to do that A.J. Green stuff. I, I wanted to do more with that. So that's my only thing with that. Like, that's my own personal goal where I'm like, we need to do that more often and develop something with that, right? That's one of my goals. But – I'm going to tell y'all this. If y'all never seen me before or y'all never seen our interview, when me and Ace first said we're going to commit to interviewing some people, one of the people uh, – and, like, and we're going to develop our own style. Khalid Kareem, uh, Khaled Kareem, that interview to me is like how we like to interview like somebody. Like the, the research that was behind that one, just my own personal uh, favorite, I guess, is that one because – you know, he was so engaging. We were we were so on point. The questions that we had, like every single thing I think we threw at him, it like blew his mind. And to see his face, it was like awesome. And I'm going to tell you another one, too. It's the rawest interview I ever had. Like, no, like off the break, he just set the tone, cursed on the first sentence. Like, he just went in. The TJ Hushmanzada is like the rawest, realest interview I've ever done in my life because it's just like, People want to see what we talk like when we ain't online or what we whatever. Go watch the TJ Hushman's out of interview. Like that shit is like everything. And he feels the same way about John Ross as I do too. So John, <laughs> what was your favorite interview that you guys had this season? M- M- McGee is definitely up there. Like after we finished that, like me and Anthony were just talking afterwards. Like that was insane. That was that was crazy. That was great. It was it was exactly what I wanted like an interview with a former player to go with. And we've interviewed a lot of former players like Dahani Jones comes to mind as another very intrinsic one or or a very eccentric one. And but like, like McGee, 
specifically was just like because I, I I mean I was born in '96. I never watched the, the the team in the '80s. I didn't live very much through the '90s in that time. So like hearing that perspective from former players from those eras and talking about their experiences with like Sam Weish and, and Paul Brown, even to an extent, it, it was always refreshing. But I think like the one that it just it just felt like like the best feel for an interview was Mike Daniels. I think the first time he came on because. I mean, we've interviewed a lot of people, especially this year. It's been a great year for interviews, but like that was the first time that I, I was we were interviewing like an actual player on the Bengals' current roster, at least this year. And you know, for for guy who had who had just signed on to the team to take the time to, to to come talk to us and be very engaging and talk about not only just football stuff but stuff off the field too. How big of a nerd he is in terms of comic books and Dragon Ball Z and just talking about basically anything. And it, it was great, and we got some great perspective from him. And he was just so engaging and energetic. And then for him to come back on again and having an even more engaging interview interview with him, I, I think that first Mike Daniels interview always comes to mind as something that was that was crazy for me. Yeah, that was one that I definitely enjoyed, especially when you guys got into the Dragon Ball stuff. That was that was cool. Uh, Matt, what was your favorite interview so far this season? I, uh, you know, from watching you guys' stuff, uh, like I, I loved AJ and I loved Mike Daniels because those interviews were not like about football. Yeah. Like, you know, like they were just, they were just great. Cause it was just like, like, it was just like talking to, talking to some dude that you just met, you know what I mean? It, it was, uh, so that was pretty cool. And I don't even like, uh, it, I think I'm just a little too old to be into Dragon Ball Z and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, so like I have like, like I, I would coach guys and they'd be talking about it. I'd be like, what are you guys talking about? So I had no real point of reference for that. And, he, and even I really enjoyed, uh, uh, that one. Um, you know, personally, uh, you know, from from my perspective, I really enjoyed my my uh, interview with uh, Greg Cosell coming into the draft. Uh, you know, he he had some uh, some really interesting uh, things to to say as we got into that one. Uh, we actually talked a little bit about T. We talked a little bit about some of the other receivers and, and guys to to pair uh, Burrow with. Um, also, really enjoyed uh, uh, Bengals assistant offensive line coach Ben Martin. Um, I think that that was a good conversation, uh, you know, too, because obviously me coming from a coaching background and, uh, you know, we, we speak each other's language a little bit, uh, but also just kind of being able to give a little insight into, into you know, what the, the thought process is and, and how they look at things, um, you know, made me feel a little bit better about things um, move, moving forward because, you know, you definitely, uh, you know, like what's what's coming down from those guys. And I, I think a guy like that, too, because, uh, you know, he's not the guy that gets interviewed all the time. I, I think it was a little bit a little bit more open uh, than you sometimes get out of those guys. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. For sure. I, I definitely took a listen to that that Greg Cosell one because, man, he is a notable guy to have on there, especially when you're talking about the draft and stuff like that. So, yeah, I liked what he had to say there, especially I think you talked about Denzel Mims on that one and T. Higgins and stuff like that. And he did a great breakdown and run through. I think for me, it's, it's tough because Zim definitely hit on some some good ones with uh, Khalil Kareem. I definitely enjoyed his reactions. TJ was crazy. That was the one that I first got like nervous on because like as soon as TJ like popped into it, I was just like, holy shit, this is TJ Hootsmanzada. Like I could, I kind of definitely had a moment there. Uh, but I would probably say Hugh Jackson. The Hugh Jackson interview was so crazy because like. It wasn't one where we really got that much time to prepare, right? Because he was just like, yeah, let's do it now. And it was just like, whoa, right. all right. All right. Spur of the moment kind of thing. 
Uh, but he also was a guy that was just like super down to earth, uh, very open and everything. And to kind of get some of those questions that we've always had, like what's going on with the AJ McCarron trade? Like, how did that go down? The Carson Palmer thing, how did that go down? To finally get him on record of actually saying things and kind of talking about like the situation with Marvin and, and ownership and stuff like that. That was very, that was a very dope moment. I also will say, Willie Anderson. I mean, I think Willie Anderson deserves his own podcast because, like, Willie could essentially, as you guys all know, because we've all had him on before, he could go for hours. He could talk about everything. He'll tell you about all of these cool stories and adventures and stuff like that. Um, so Willie was definitely one that I, I enjoyed. And then also Jeff Blake. I mean, to bring Jeff Blake back into into Bengals Zoom and, and try to give him some of the flowers that he deserved um, was pretty cool. Uh, especially like to have that shaking Blake stuff and, and, and everything of that nature. Uh, but moving on, we've got to talk about the midseason awards. So we've got offensive MVP, we've got defensive MVP, uh, rookie. Uh, so I'm going to go through, I guess I'm going to ask you guys each individually, and you can give me your three. So you can give me your offensive MVP, your defensive MVP, and I guess who you think is the rookie of the year. So for me, I'm going to say it's hard here because I feel like offensive MVP and rookie could be the same person. I'm going to say offensive MVP has to be Joe Burrow. Defensive MVP for me, Jesse Bates. Rookie, I'll just go with T. Higgins since I don't want to give Joe two awards. Um, so, Anthony, what would what would be your midseason awards so far this season? Of those three, it's hard to disagree with you, man. Um, hard hard to go different directions. I will – I will say this. I want to give a little a uh, little nod to Logan Wilson. Um, I, I, he's in, in spot snaps and whatnot. Uh, he's made a couple of plays that have really popped out. Um, you know, he had the, the little injury, the concussion there uh, in the middle of the, the first stretch of the games there. But, uh, you know, for the, the team just failing time after time and drafting these linebackers in the third round, it looks like they finally got a guy – even if he's a little bit limited, maybe he's not a three-down guy, especially not right away. Uh, he's a guy that that I'm I've been pretty pleased with in terms of what I've seen production per snap. Uh, so I, I I think you hit the nail on the head, Ace, in terms of who you're giving those awards to. But I do want to give a little tip of the cap to, to Logan Definitely. Wilson. I John, like what I've seen. Uh, from what are him your so far. What are your uh, midseason awards so far? I think it has to be Burrow for offensive and rookie, and then Bates for dif- for defensive. I-, I think if there if there was someone different for offensive, it's probably Tyler Boyd. I, I just think that when AJ is struggling, John John Ross is is just being phased out of the offense, and T Higgins is finding his way. Uh, Tyler Boyd had like PFF's second highest receiving grade from weeks two to four. He was carrying a passing offense and was helping you know Burrow's d- the quick ascendance and development early on in the season. So I think he deserves credit for offensive MVP. Obviously T Higgins deserves recognition in the rookie chase, but I mean, Burrow is, he's the bona fide MVP. He's what an MVP looks like for a team that needs everything that a quarterback has. And Jesse Bates is that exact same thing on the, on the defense side of the ball. I looked at, I look at that Colts game, like the defense was reeling throughout, you know, ever since the, the end of the first quarter, they were giving up long drives with big plays, but by Phillip rivers and Bates was, largely invisible for that game but when they needed a play they needed some form of life to spark them winning that game or giving them a chance to win you know you had jesse bates's first interception of the year on on that you know that deep ball down the left down the left side of the field you know it it was crazy because like six weeks into the season you know how is bates not at an interception he's done basically everything else 
and if for what makes it an elite center field safety and elite center field safety, but that was his first pick and it felt like it should have come a lot sooner in the season, but it was the play that needed to be made and he made it. And that is just, it's, it's what an MVP does. It's what a defensive player of the year candidate does. And he may not win that award, but definitely deserves recognition for it. Yeah, definitely. Matt, what about you? I mean, I agree with everything you guys have said and, and I'll add on to what John was saying about Bates, you know, like there's the Colts interception and then there's, there's this week uh, the Titans were driving the field and he came and and they converted like the Bengals had some chances to get out the field and I mean honestly Tannehill hit some really good passes on that drive. I mean I it, like it, it, having a better pass rush would have helped but the coverage wasn't terrible but and they they were converting some some balls uh where Tannehill was just throwing dimes but then Bates comes up with the pick. You know they they actually did get after Tannehill there they made him roll out uh, Bates sat there, he baited it, he jumped it, and, and you know, it took them a while to get on the board. So that's really what helped the Bengals uh, build that lead. But, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it's crazy when you were talking about alternative to alternatives to Joe Burrow. I mean, Boyd is, Boyd is awesome. And I think we all expected him to be even better with Burrow. But over the last couple of weeks, Higgins is just doing some crazy stuff, man. Like he's making some some stupid, insane catches. I mean, he might be the number one guy pretty soon. Yeah. Like he he might, he might be the guy. I thought it was going to be Boyd, and I thought Higgins would be good, but I thought it was going to be Boyd. But man, Higgins Higgins is is really good. Uh, and, and just to to break the um, break the monotony here, I'll throw in another one. My my most improved or most surprising player perhaps is Bobby Hart. Oh, Bobby Hart is playing one. really well this year. And, and look, am I saying don't draft a right tackle? Don't spend a bunch of money on a right tackle this year. Hell no, I'm not saying that, but Bobby Hart is he's played two of the best games I've ever seen him play. I watched a bunch of his giants film when they, when they signed him and I'm a pretty positive guy, and I'm always trying to see how things can work. But I, I wrote a, I wrote a film room after after that signing. I was like, "Hey, I heard he was good a year ago." Nope, that's wrong. <laughs> like, he was never good with the Giants. Uh, but but like he has played some pretty good games this year, and and he's not the problem on that offensive line right now. And and he's not when they weren't winning games, he wasn't the reason they weren't winning games. So uh, Bobby Hart has really stepped up this year. But but let, let's still replace him. What about you, Zam? I'm so glad that Matt is here to say something like that because I I'm about to get blo- I'm about to get murdered in the uh, in the comments here. You're, you're, you're going to get murdered and you're going to take the bullet for all of us because <laughs> I'm not going to say Bobby Hart. But I will say this. <laughs> but I will say this: the fan base, I feel like they'll like cling on to a person, and, and if that person makes one mistake, kind of like you were talking about. Hey, I thought Dre was pretty decent. People remember big mistakes, and from the cornerback position, you make a mistake, that's a touchdown. Bobby Hart, you make a mistake, that's a sack. And our fan base has gravitated. Like, if Bobby Hart gets called for holding, if we lost that game, get rid of Bobby Hart. Like, not anybody else, Bobby Hart. So I thought it was great that you said that. If you guys don't know, like, you got to follow everybody that's on this panel because you're going to get, like, some true stuff, and nobody's sugarcoating anything. And they're looking at real, real information in real film. But uh, for me, I would just follow up with everything that A said. I think it's really important. I mean, you know, with the Burrow, 
Bates. I want to say Burrow again for rookie. I mean, it could go Higgins. I absolutely agree with you too, Matt, that um, uh, Higgins, I mean, in my mind, he is number one. And and there's, that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. A lot of people are like, well, I mean, what are you going to do with AJ? I mean, AJ could still be AJ in his second, you know, what I call his second life or, you know, like whatever, you know, the Larry Fitzgerald world or whatever. Like, that's not a bad thing that Higgins is the guy. It wouldn't be a bad thing that Boyd is the guy. And, John, I think you pointed out uh, Boyd, too. A guy came in, uh, me and Ace were doing a live one week, and the guy came in there and said, you know what, I'm so tired of coming in here and y'all not mentioning Tyler Boyd. Y'all talk about all this, you know, because I'm like telling them John Ross, why don't y'all talk about Boyd? I honestly feel like Tyler Boyd is the most underrated wide receiver in the National Football League, and it carries over to our fan base where I think people just, maybe because he's a possession slot receiver first, I guess, but he has the ability to go outside that maybe it gets lost in the sauce or something like that. But Tyler Boyd is 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 a phenomenal player, and it's one of those guys that, unless we're talking like fantasy football or something like that, I just don't hear his name at all, and he's probably leading the league in slot yards. Like, that's crazy. So, but- I'm also going to take another bullet here um, since uh, so Matt won't be the only one. And I've talked bad about this guy, but you guys know, like, if I'm wrong on something, I will I will come clean and say that I was wrong. Alex Redmond, to me, might be the most improved player. To go from a guy that was cut, and I was like, at the time, was happy that he was cut. When he was coming back from the practice squad, I said it was going to be a doomsday thing. For him to play like how he's playing, especially with the Bengals, to have that hole at right guard that they've had ever since Suofilo went down, I think was just amazing. Um, So not saying that he's going to be, like Matt said, not saying that we shouldn't draft the – Shouldn't draft the right guard or anything next season. But but, but not even he, doing that. Xavier Sulafilo comes back off the bye. Uh, Spain comes back healthy, you know, nothing, whatever. You you mm-hmm. still want Redmond at right guard? I take Redmond at right guard before I take Michael Jordan at left guard. If Spain's got to take Michael Jordan's position, based Poor on Jordan, what, we've seen, what we've seen, I, I'd rather do it that way. Just me personally. But, I mean, Alex Redmond, with my luck, you know, could get destroyed against the Steelers and then, you know, that would be a bad take. Uh, but speaking of the Steelers, we got to talk about the Squealers and the expectations coming out of the bye um, going forward. So let's start with Matt on this one. What are your thoughts about the Steelers game? And what do you think about, like, after coming out of the bye, what your expectations are? I, I'm just going to add real quick to, to what Zim said. I, I think Boyd – I think – I think Boyd is one of the best leaders in the team too. Just from everything he says in the interviews, and and the way he he fought through that cramp to get up in that Miami game oh, last yes. year. I mean, I I think he's the man, and and my my gut tells me that he's you know one of the top vocal guys in that locker room. Um, but yeah, looking forward to the to the Steelers. Look, I think you're going to see a huge challenge. And what was the one time this offense really struggled? It was against the Ravens. The Steelers are going to send some crazy blitzes at you. I think the Steelers are a better, more talented defense than the Ravens are. I don't know if they're a better coach defense. And I I think think Wink makes up for a lot of the shortcomings that that they have personnel-wise in that defense uh, in Baltimore. So – but but I think they're smart enough that they're going to send some heat. You, you know, you know that they've got Wyatt. You know they've got Dupree. Um, they've got they've got Fitzpatrick. You know, uh, all over the place in the secondary. So this is going to be a real big test of a Burrow. 
you know, because that was the first thing was was all those all those different looks Baltimore was sending at him. That was the, that was the hey rookie moment for him. Uh, that that he didn't know what was going on all the time, and and really honestly, the offensive line that that was a game where the offensive line takes way too much blame because Burrow created a lot of those situations himself uh, because he didn't he, he just didn't know what was going on. But now he's seen it in live action, so this is going to be a test of how can he handle that moving forward. And to make matters worse. We have no idea what the offensive line is going to look like in two weeks. So, I mean, we'll have to see what what, what that's going to be. Um, you know, it, I mean, it sounds like Hart might not be around. Uh, could be a good thing. I think Fred played pretty well. I think I think Fred played well enough to to deserve to push for that spot. Um, you know, so so we'll see. And that's where they're gonna you know they're gonna they're gonna have water over there. They're, they're gonna be that's that's gonna be the big time matchup for them. Um, you know, where are we at with the interior with all these with these new guys that they brought in uh, with the po- possibility of, of Xavier Sufilo being back sometime soon? Uh, so we'll, we'll see how that old line cracks down and how Burrow can can take on that pressure. I think that's the big time storyline of this game, because we know that if the if the defense is going to let Burrow do his thing, um, that he can keep this team in games. So, like, that's 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 what it is. They got to score points. AC, what are your thoughts on uh, the Steelers game, bro? The the one coming up is, I mean, it's a big test. It's a big test, and I think the Bengals will start to get some of these guys back healthy. Uh, that and, and that's a big big thing, you know. Just holistically speaking, in terms of the back half of the schedule here, not only for this game, um, I you know, I, I always kind of maybe thought that. 2020 might have been something similar to the 2003 Bengals. Maybe uh, there's some correlation there, and, and in that in that season, Bengals started one and four, and then they rattled off. Uh, you know, they went seven and four the rest of the way. Um, I don't know that this team will do anything like that necessarily, but with this game, starting with this next game and a couple of others that are back there, I mean, yeah, it's nice to get the win against the Washington team and New York and, and these other teams that seem to be winnable games. I want to see some quality wins, and they got one last week against the Titans. This this one coming up against Pittsburgh, for all the reasons Matt mentioned, you know, the, the pass rush and maturation of Burrow midseason. I mean, all the all those things are, are good barometers to see where this team's at, but – you know, I, I don't want to overlook this one, but I do look at the Monday night one uh, against Pittsburgh coming down the road because, again, I, I'm 99% sure I'm the oldest guy on this show right now. Uh, <laughs> so I, with with the age comes cynicism, my friends, and I've seen a lot of primetime collapses. I've seen a lot of losses against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So those two games are really coming into focus for me, particularly the Monday night football one. Can you – Bring those the Steelers into your stadium and get a win on Monday Night Football. I know that's not the one we're specifically talking about, but it is one on the back half of the schedule I'm looking at for this week. This the coming week, rather uh, protect Burrow, and I really want to see the the turnovers minim, minimalized and and maybe get some semblance of a running game, get some semblance of a balanced balanced attack against Pittsburgh. And if they're able to do that, I think it'll be a very competitive game. Maybe the Bengals can squeak out a win. I don't know. Pretty daunting task there, but uh, that's that's something for this game against the, the the Steelers in particular. But going forward, the last half of the season, yeah, Burrow's great. The, the other offensive players we're talking about are great, but if they can maybe get a little bit of a semblance of, of a running game and a little bit of balance, that would be nice for me. 
Mr. But they can't win on Monday night. You can't blame Marv and you can't blame Andy. That's right. <laughs> Very true. Mr. Sharon, what are your thoughts on the, the Pittsburgh game and, and just the I guess the the schedule after? If any if anyone out there has a PFF like subscription, uh, there's actually a good article on there that's blocked by the paywall. It's titled Why the Pittsburgh Steelers Aren't the Best Team in the NFL. There's seven no, they're the only undefeated team, but there is some empirical evidence as to why they may not be as good as the record states. With that said, I don't see the Bengals winning this one. It, it, it's like it's the same thing going into the Ravens game. Like they they just they just don't have the personnel to match up. Like the, that defense, as dominant as it is, it is entirely carried by their front four. There's just a just their defensive front. They don't really have any impressive bodies at cornerback or at safety. Like Devin Bush is is, is athletic and he's young, but he's not exactly playing tremendous either. Like TJ Watt, he's out for the year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cameron Cameron Haywood, Stephon Tuitt, Tyson Alu, like. These guys are going to destroy this offensive line, regardless of, of how promising that they were you know, leading up to this bye week. Like it, it's not, it's probably not going to be pretty. There's still going to be things that Burrow can do well, and I think the offense can, can score a little bit of points. But I just, I just don't have any confidence in this game. Like with the Titans, at least the Titans didn't really have a defense that that gave the Bengals a lot of problems. It was just the offensive and how the Bengals defense can can counter that. But this one, it it would just take a a monumental effort. By that offensive line and by Burrow as well to show growth coming off of that that Baltimore game from a couple weeks ago, how much how much development that the D does and recognizing these blitzes pre snap going forward beyond that, like obviously you know this game doesn't have a lot of confidence, but they, they can definitely beat the Giants, they can definitely beat Washington, they can definitely beat the Texans, they can definitely beat the Cowboys. The most interest the most intriguing game for me is the Dolphins. Right now, they probably have the best defense in the entire league, and when they have both Byron Jones and Xavier Howard healthy at quarterback, they have a a smothering defense and now you have two uh you know starting for them and and maybe he he can get something going but they're going to go back into miami where they were last year with that insane game and now they have both you know the rookie quarterbacks facing each other and you have a high-powered Bengals offense going up against a stingy dolphins defense that's the one that's most interesting to me because i think a lot of people assume that that was going to be going to be a win going into the season but the dolphins are a lot better than what than what we thought they were and they're comp- they're going to be competing for an AFC East title that game. So that's the most interesting game to me. It's going to be a good barometer to see where they actually are because I don't have confidence with them in, in these three remaining AFC North games, but that is going to be a, an interesting ch- uh, chance for them to get another quality win. Timothy, what do you have for for the the Steelers game and the rest of the the rest of the season? I I I'm going to focus on one team and that's the Pittsburgh Steelers coming up. I don't even all that other stuff up later on. I can't even do that right now. If, if I mean, if you're a Bengals fan and you're listening to this right now, I think it's so important that Anthony said that because that that's my message to everyone. Is he said he was an older? He, he said he's older than everybody in the room, and there's so many pessimistic fans and everything out there, right? I can't guarantee when the Super Bowl will happen, but you're going to get a Super Bowl from Joe Burrow, right? That's my that's my first guarantee. In the next 10 years, what we're what you're going to get accustomed to is like watch a Russell if you're if you're listening to this and you don't watch other games, go watch a Russell Wilson game, go watch a, a Aaron Rodgers game or a Pat Mahomes game or something like that, right? But especially Russell Wilson. He never had the best pieces around him. He's always in these positions where if you just get him close enough, if you just get him within reach, he always makes the play when it matters the most. We saw that last year 
when we thought, remember we started out the season, we played them or whatever, and then he just makes enough if you can just get him close enough. Now, I'm not saying that they won't blow the doors off of us, you know, coming up, right? But if you get them just close enough, the confidence in, like, some of the videos that I've been showing people are still, like, the Steelers, like, players dancing and all these different things like that, it's an energy that says that if you could get them in a, in a situation that they're unfamiliar with, like how we've been jumping out on teams, like a 21 or nothing or something like that, they're going to panic. I can promise you that. Like, Ben is going to try to be a hero. Like, there's so many different things that are going to happen. And, yes, they have a better team. But if you could get Joe Burrow close enough, y'all all have to fall accustomed to this. If you can get him close enough for the next 10 years of your life, he's going to win so many more games than what we ever seen with, with not even half of the roster that some, some of these teams have. And, and the one thing about him, too, is when he was at LSU, the biggest games – the biggest moments are the games that he played his absolute best. That was one of the things that drew me to him is like, I mean, we get into the, like the player, like before when the Tua, the Tua thing was a real thing, you know, like he had to come back swinging in that game. And I said, and, and I watched some of his stuff like after that or whatever. And some of the energy that he's cultivating in the locker room right now, they don't know about like a lot of writers, a lot of guys on the beat and stuff. They write that story every year. It's like these players are so young. They don't know about that. No, nah, they know about it. the difference is the players that we have right now, like the Tyler boys and the Joe Mixons of the world. They absolutely do not care that they're playing the Steelers and people say stuff like that. But I can see the fire in their eyes that they don't care. And Joe Burrow surely doesn't care. Now, can he uh, uh, make up for an offensive line that clearly can't handle that front seven? That's to be determined. But they can get them in a position, a turnover or something early on, and get them down or whatever, they're going to panic. And that gives you a shot. Uh, it was a story that was written that said that there may be a 16-team playoff, right? If the it, Because of COVID, like uh, hurting so many different teams and stuff. If the Bengals were to get in there as an eight or a seven seed or whatever, or whatever, in that format too, I, I might come on here and tell you we're going to the Super Bowl. Nobody wants to play the Bengals right now. And I'm not saying that as like a Bengals, like, yeah, I am a Bengals homer. I am <laughs> saying that as a Bengals homer. But I will say this <laughs> nobody, like, their offense is humming right now. And I have this saying, I have this mantra, and, and everybody that follows me, they, say, they know this. Your offense is your defense. If your other team doesn't bring it, the other teams don't bring it, like this is something that we, we haven't seen. I mean, what, 81 Bengals or 2005? Like you could go back and probably find various uh, times in the Bengals' history where they've had an offense where you, they can hit you from every single angle. In a second, it's like we just saw Auden Tate this, this past week. But the difference is we're able to do that in so many different facets of a football game on offense, right? Other teams have to match that every week. And if that if their front four doesn't get home, Joe Burrow will eat them alive and it and it will be crazy and it's gonna shock the world. But if the front four gets there, yeah, it, it, it could be really, really bad. And like you said, um Matt, um, he saw the Ravens and he's and he, and, and he did he, and maybe he was a little confused and a lot of different things that can happen but i see a confidence that can be knocked back really really quick if you just get them in a vulnerable position and i just want to caution everybody like 
to me, that's the key to winning this game and the key to all those Monday night football games and stuff like that. Teams don't want to play the Bengals right now. I'm proud. I promise you, because the offense is really going like at a level that a lot of teams in the NFL are struggling to find that level. So some of the comments, some of the comments flame me for not giving Mika Fitzpatrick its credit and I deserve that. So yeah, there you go. Mika ain't, Mika ain't better at Jesse Bates. Yeah, yeah. I, I so for me, I think at one point in this season, I was worried about this game. I think it was right after the Ravens game, and I've also worried. I've also been on another pod where we're it's called the AFC North Talk. We meet literally every week, and it's really challenged me and made me step out of my comfort zone with having to watch Squillers games, Ravens games, Browns games. Like I've had to actually watch them and and have an opinion on them. And the one thing that I will say is, obviously, their strength is their pass rush, right? But they have a lot of chinks in the armor. I'm not surprised that John said on PFF.com that the Steelers are not the best team in the NFL because they've just really been super inconsistent. They'll have, you know, great games where the offense is on fire and they have a really talented wide receiver core. I don't think anyone gives them enough credit there. But they'll come out on fire. And then in the next half against, let's say, the Eagles, they just go quiet. And it's like other teams have had chances to beat them. Even you talk about the Ravens game, right? Four turnovers by Lamar Jackson. I think it's actually three. I'm sorry. Three turnovers by Lamar Jackson. They lose by four points. They still had a chance to win that game. Lamar just isn't able to hit the guy at the end in the end zone. Uh, I think the Eagles game, they got away that game. There's a There's been a routine of the Steelers kind of getting let off the hook by these other teams. Like teams have been in position, but they just haven't sealed the deal, right? And to me, it makes me think that if Joe Burrow is in that position, if Joe Burrow was in the position of Lamar Jackson last week and he's throwing that pass, I think that Joe Burrow could win that game. But in order for us to win that game, he has to be in the position to do that. And if this pass rush gets to him, I think I told Zim weeks ago before – before this Titans game, I was we like, I don't want to. I'm not going to stream that game. I'm not going to go live <laughs> and stream that game because I'm going to be pissed off. Joe Burrow's going to get sacked ten times. Right. I'm going to turn it off. Steeler fans are going to jump in the comments. But I think the Titans I felt the game, same way. I felt the same the, way. The Titans game definitely brought me back to okay, maybe this may be a possibility. And I think when you think of everything that's riding on that game coming out with them winning this game and going into the bye week, right? They get a win. You've got the Steelers, and then you've got a stretch of teams that aren't really strong. And so if they can actually come out and try to win this game, they could easily win three, possibly four games in a row if they do that, right? And that is the mindset that Joe Burrow kind of has, and that's what he said is we're not a a, a two, five, and one team, right? We're a team that could easily be, I think he said six and two or something like that right now. Um, so they have to come out with that mindset. The other thing is the big secret that I was led into by, by Tony Serino. He's, he's a great guy. He's okay for a Steelers fan. Like I would never think that I would be able to agree with the Steelers fan, but he's, he's, uh, somewhat okay. They loved Andy Dalton because Andy Dalton wasn't a guy that really challenged their defense at all. And they, they enjoyed having Andy Dalton there for years. And I think even I think they played the Cowboys. He was like, oh, I can't wait because Andy Dalton's our best friend. So the fact that we've got a guy in Joe Burrow, they're definitely worried about him. But it all comes down to that pass rush and what they can do. Their secondary is not that good. Yes, Minka Fitzpatrick is good. He's not playing on the all pro level that he was last season. 
Um, but when you talk about their corners, their corners are not playing good. You can get some plays against that secondary, but it all comes down to the pass rush because the pass rush that they have is the best pass rush in the NFL. So that game is definitely going to be one in the trenches. I'm just hoping that we can split with them. If they come out and sack us 10 times, okay, cool, that's fine. I, I didn't have big expectations going into the game. I think that this is actually going to be a game, though, and I think that the Bengals – because they're already talking about the Steelers going undefeated. If you guys don't know that, their local guys have already started it because the, the teams that they have left to play aren't really amazing outside of the Ravens. But I think the Bengals can be one of those teams that's going to surprise them and still a win. I don't know if it's the one coming out of the bye. I don't know if it's the primetime game. But I think that that is going to be the stamp of Joe Burrow. And I can't wait to hear when it happens what the national media is going to say if he's able to pull that off. Um, so those, those are my thoughts. Uh, sorry we ran over a little bit. Uh, but before we get out of here, I just want to give everyone a chance uh, to, to pretty much say where they can find all of their stuff um, and let, let the, the Houday Nation know where they can find you. We'll start off with John. Yeah, real quick, like just to reiterate some thoughts from you guys, like there's a reason why you should be following all of us and listening to all of these podcasts because you get an opportunity to listen to so many different viewpoints and Here's so many great interviews, and that's what makes this channel great. You can find me on Twitter at John double underscore Sheeran. Me and, and Matt and Anthony and, and Zim and Ace. We're all on Cincy Jungle. Check us out CincyJungle.com every week before games, after games, whatever. So, yeah, eight, eight games down, eight games to go. Let's finish this thing. Matt, where can I find your stuff at, bro? Uh, yeah, so so all the same places as these guys. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, you follow me at Coach Minnick. Spelled like that, and uh, you know all my all my stuff ends up on there. Uh, and then yeah, we're on Cincy Jungle and the uh, uh, Orange and Black Insider. Zim, where can they find your stuff? Um, you can find me mostly on Instagram at Zim underscore Hude. You can um, find me on Twitter at just Zim Hude. Also, Orange is, Orange is the new Black podcast with my partner here, New Stripe City. Um, yeah, that's that's it. AC, where can they find your stuff, sir? Uh, all the same places at CJ Anthony CUI on Twitter. I gotta, I gotta say one quick little funny story. I told Zim this a while ago for the, for a couple of games in a row, I was watching, uh, I watched games with like my brother and my nephew and my son and just other family members. And I kept for two games in a row, my, my 14 year old nephew was just zoning out and he was just watching his phone while we had the game on TV. He had his earbuds in. I'm going, dude, what the hell? Like, are, are you going to watch the game? Like what's going on? And he's like, I am watching the game. I'm like, what? How are you? You don't have the app on your phone. How are you watching? He's like, Oh no, I'm watching Zim's uh, in in game uh, in game reaction. And so he doesn't he doesn't listen to the telecast. He doesn't even really watch like the game play by play. He watches Zim because Zim's in game reactions is so entertaining on Instagram. So I want to give him a plug. And uh, so he just tunes the rest of his family out. He watches them on, on game day because of how, how entertaining it is. And I've caught it too. It's a little NS, NSFW uh, in case you are in the office, but it's very entertaining. So I wanted to give them a no, little No, appreciate that. And also be sure to subscribe to the, the, um, the Orange and Black Insider YouTube channel as well. We're going live from that right now. Um, so be sure to definitely subscribe to that and also subscribe to Zim's YouTube channel, uh, the Zim Huda YouTube channel. You can find me at New Stripe City uh, on YouTube, also on Twitter at New Stripe City and on Instagram at New Stripe City. We're going to try to bring you guys a part two 
of this coming next week. So definitely be sure to turn your notifications on for all of the channels. Definitely be sure to give us likes and comments and stuff like that. We appreciate that. And we hope that you guys appreciated the Cincy Jungle Super Show. Guys, take it easy. Who day? Who day?